crisis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. Ed O'Malley is my guest today, and I am so excited because we have known each other, Ed, I believe, since around 1996. Uh, 1996 sounds about right, Scotty. It's good to be with you. Oh, thank you so much. And and Ed is the CEO of the Kansas Leadership Center. And they, in my mind, they are the preeminent developers of leadership, kind of in that community setting. Would that be an accurate way of saying it, Ed O'Malley? Or would you, how would you describe KLC for our listeners? You know, Scott, we got our start 13 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I founded KLC 13 years ago. And the mission has always been about civic life in Kansas. So we're developing leadership at a large scale all across our state, working with thousands of Kansans who we um, you know, want to exercise leadership in the civic space to make their community stronger. As the years have gone by, we've worked more and more with the private sector as well in Kansas and beyond, but certainly our roots, our heart uh, start there in community and civic life, as you said. Well, and and... One thing that I love about the opportunity to have this conversation and to have the conversation with you, I've started each of these podcasts by sharing three words that come to mind for me when I think about that guest. And Ed, as I was reflecting on you and our relationship and what I know of you, the three words that stood out for me were service, principled, and inquisitive. Now, how did I do? How did I do? Scott, that last one was inquisitive. Is that right? Inquisitive. Yes. Inquisitive. Yes. You. Yeah, I think it's a word. I'm pretty sure that's a word. Oh, I like it. It's a great word. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, this morning I woke up and I was thinking about the three words that define me and I came up with the exact same three, Scott. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we, we, we are on the same wavelength, my friend. Yeah. We are on the same wavelength. Um, I, I love those words and I hope to live up to those words most of my days. So thank you for that. Well, you know, it's it's your inquisitiveness that that in my mind has really fueled some of the work that's happening at KLC. Yeah. So would you talk about that a little bit? I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about the work, yeah. how you all think about developing leaders, and then maybe even what's you've what you've learned. And maybe we just kind of go down those three paths for right now. I love it, Scott. And so a little, little bit of background. As you know, before I started the Kansas Leadership Center, I was in politics. I was a member of the Kansas House of Representatives. I was an aide before that to one of our state's governors. And I started KLC, Kansas Leadership Center. I started KLC, frankly, as a big skeptic when it came mm. to leadership development. Mm. And, and I say that and I share, I share it because I think it's relevant to giving some background about the organization and some of my thoughts on, on leadership and leadership development. I I was a skeptic because I had been the beneficiary of countless leadership programs early in my life. 
Yes. And I remember a specific moment. I was on the floor of the Kansas House of Representatives. It was two o'clock in the morning. We had a massive education funding debate going on. We had a bit of a constitutional crisis in our state that moment. And there were protesters in the gallery and protesters out in the rotunda, the Capitol. And you can picture the scene. And oh, it was yeah. two, two o'clock in the morning. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, looking around the chamber and thinking to myself, I have no idea what to do right now. Yes. And, wow. But I've, I've gone through so much leadership training. Yeah. And, and at that moment, and this was before I started KLC, at that moment, I began to realize that while a lot of that leadership training helped me get to that spot, helped me become a member of the House of Representatives, it didn't really help me figure out what to do. So when we started KLC, our mindset was very focused on, we want to help people learn. What is it you actually do? What are the moves you make to help groups solve problems and seize opportunities? I so love that's, it. that's always been the kind of the heart of, of the background. Does that give a little kind of, kind of paint a little picture of the origin? I love it. No, I love it. I love it. That's great. Keep going. Yeah. So, you know, w- with that, so, so we, we begin KLC 13 years ago with that mindset, kind of a cynic mindset. Um, I guess a fourth word maybe could have been cynic. Um, oh. <laughs> but, um, and so we became, to use your word, very inquisitive about, well, what will it take then to create a place that doesn't just position somebody for some fancy job, some right. quote unquote leadership job, but yeah. actually prepares them to know the behaviors, the moves, the skills you make to mobilize people. So um, th- that's what we're about at KLC. We work with thousands of people a year, uh, building their capacity to solve problems and to seize opportunities. A lot of times we actually like to talk about our work. I mean, we'll use the term leadership development, but we prefer to talk about it as we help people solve problems and seize opportunities faster, more effectively, more efficiently. I love it. I love it. And so what are some of the hallmarks or the principles that you're helping people learn as they think about some of the work that they're doing? They might be in formal positions of leadership, Mm -hmm. informal positions of leadership. Would you talk a little bit about your curriculum and some of the content that that's helping people do that work? That's great. Yeah, you bet, Scott. We And we spent the first almost year and a half really di- diagnosing the context of our uh, civic life and creating this curriculum. Uh, we, we had a nice, big, healthy grant to get this thing started, which allows you to spend that kind of time, frankly. Totally. So it was a very nice situation to be in and uh, developed a framework. Um, and, and let me just give you some highlights of it, Scott, for, for your listeners. Um, it starts with some principles. Uh, We believe these to be truths about leadership. Uh, The first one is that leadership is an activity, not a position. Okay. To us, that's just key. Uh, We think it's one of the biggest mistakes people make when exercising leadership, that they conflate leadership and authority. Maybe you and I can talk more about that today. Sure. Um, So this idea that leadership is an activity, not a position. And just just to dwell on that one for a minute, Scott, 15, 20 years ago, if you would have asked, if you would have said, hey, Ed, I think leadership is an activity, not a position, I, I would have nodded my head and I would have said, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's kind of what you do, you know, that matters. And, and, but I still would have been thinking and picturing in my head people who are in positional roles. Yes. So I, I, I would have acknowledged that, yes, it's an activity, but it's an activity for people in those roles. 
Mm-hmm. And at, mm-hmm. at KLC, we're saying something different. We're saying that leadership and authority are two totally different things. Sometimes people in authority exercise leadership. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes people without authority exercise leadership. Sometimes they don't. Good. Anyway, uh, so other principles um, we could talk about, but we also believe that leadership is incredibly risky and therefore we think it's incredibly rare. So we think leadership is an activity. It's a risky one and therefore it doesn't happen very often. Um, We have a framework of competencies that we teach, Scott, that we can get into if it's useful to you and your audience. Uh, But we built a a simple framework of a set of ideas that uh, we share with thousands of folks a year now in Kansas and across the country and throughout the world. Well, and there's two that I would love to hear you talk about. Mm -hmm. And and that would be intervene skillfully. How are you thinking about that concept today? And I would love for you to discuss raise the heat. Yeah, yeah. Can we talk about those two? You bet, Scott. So as we were creating our curriculum, and and by by the way, our, our thinking early on was in order to create a culture of leadership across our state, which is really sure. what we're after, yep. we needed to zero in on a small set of powerful ideas. And this is true for anybody. If you're trying to create a culture of leadership in your company, in your organization, I believe this to be true as well. You, you have to zero in on a small set of ideas. So I love uh, it. We have... Um, there's four competencies that make up our framework. Intervene skillfully is one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, within each of these competencies, we have a few different ideas. And raise the heat is one of the ideas inside this competency of intervene skillfully. So mm. uh, let, let me just talk a little bit, Scott, about what we mean by intervene skillfully. You know, leadership, we think, involves a lot of diagnosis. It involves a lot of managing yourself. It involves a lot of energizing other people. And it also involves, you know, eventually a moment when you're going to intervene. You're going to, you're going to raise your hand. You're going to step up on the stage. You're going to, you know, open the door and walk into the meeting. I mean, you're going to do something that is an activity, an action. And we think the world is full of people who are passionate advocates for whatever they believe in, but are pathetically incompetent at actually intervening skillfully, right? <laughs> and, and there's a difference between be having passion and having knowledge of a subject. So you yes. can be a passionate advocate for, uh, for great marketing in your company, or you could be a passionate advocate for early childhood education, whatever your thing is. And you could know everything there is to know about that thing. That yes. topic. You can know the best practices. You could attend all the conferences, know the, all the facts and figures, but you could still be pathetically incompetent at intervening to yes. mobilize others to care also. So that's what, that's what we mean by intervening skillfully. Leadership is about intervening skillfully so that others become mobilized to take up the cause. It's not intervening so you can give a great speech and everybody can say, wow, that was a great speech or intervening so you can feel good about yourself for sticking up for what you believe in. It's about mobilizing others, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it it connects, Scott, with this idea of of raise the heat. That language particularly comes from some good friends of ours, uh, Marty Linsky and Ron Heifetz at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. They're very close friends of ours and worked with us quite a bit in the early days of KLC. What we mean, what they mean, what we mean by that idea of raise the heat is 
we think for change to happen and leadership is always about change in some degree for change to happen, there has to be enough disturbance, enough disequilibrium, enough uh, discombobulation to use a word that I heard you use for the first time when we were in our early (laughs) twenties, but there has to be enough disturbance, right? To get people to even consider doing something different than they're doing now. And so leadership is often about raising that heat, raising the disturbance, raising the discomfort to get people into a productive zone. And I think a lot of times, Scott, this last thing I'll say about that is I think often people in authority roles, a manager, a team lead, a CEO, they often think their job is to lower the heat, to calm Mm. everybody down, get everybody, oh, no, it's all going to be okay, assure people that no, really, nothing's wrong here. Yeah. And we think leadership is often about the opposite. It's about raising the heat enough, holding people in that zone of real t- good productive work so real change can happen. And I love and I love how you all frame that that it's rare. Mm-hmm. So talk about that because I, I would agree with you. I, I would agree with you that that a number of people are painfully inadequate when it comes to intervening. That it's rare that you come across someone who really across context can be successful. Yeah. And so talk about rare and do any examples come to mind for you that could highlight where you did see someone exercising leadership, even if it was in a moment in time, what are some of those instances for the listeners? Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's play with this idea of rare. And and Scott, I, I know some of your listeners are also people who try to develop leadership in other people. So they're listening for themselves, but also to develop leadership in others. So not only would we say leadership is rare, I actually think leadership development is rare. It's It's much easier to talk about developing leadership in other people it's much harder to actually do something that leads to those other people literally exercising behaviors that are consistent with what we call mobilizing others. So I, I just think it's rare all around. To the, to the point about leadership being rare, I, I guess the, the, the way I think about that, Scott, is I know it's a trendy subject. I know there are a gazillion books on it. You and I have contributed to the gluttony of books on leadership. <laughs> um, we have guilty. Yeah. Yes, yes. But I, I just don't think you see very often people mobilizing others to make progress on their most daunting challenges. Mm. And to me, that's what leadership is. It's mobilizing others to make progress on their most daunting challenges. I think what we see often are people doing things that allow people to kind of keep having the same problems, keep having the same situation. Mm. You know, my background's in politics. How often do you see legislative uh, uh, legislatures and governments kick the can down the road on whatever the problem is, right? Often. Often, right. you know, and we see it in our companies too. I mean, I, there's one company that we've been working with for quite a while. And for the last two years, I feel like every time I meet with them, they say we're 18 months away from folding, <laughs> you know, Wow. <laughs> because they have but the issues, you know, they, they, these issues they have, have, have been around for 10 years. And if something significant doesn't change, they'll be around for another 10 years. Yep. I, I guess here's how, here's how I would encourage your listeners to think about it. 
if you think of leadership as an activity, right, it's easy to then for me, at least to think of it a bit like something you and I both love, Scott, which is baseball, right? Sure. So in baseball, the best hitters in the game hit the ball three times out of 10. Yes. And so I like to think of these moments to exercise leadership as if you're a batter in a batter's box and the pitches are coming at you. Okay. And so there's a moment to lead coming at you. You're in a staff meeting and there's a moment to raise the heat, Mm -hmm. right? Rather than lower the heat. Or there's a moment to engage some unusual voices. There's a moment to speak to loss, not try to pretend like there isn't loss with the change. There's a moment to do whatever this leadership stuff is that we're talking about. And I think more often than not, most people are like that batter that doesn't even see the fastball. They, the fastball comes and goes and they, mm. don't, they don't even see it. They don't even notice that there was a moment to leave. You know, then occasionally I think, and I speak for myself this way too. I think it's rare. I think even the best at exercising leadership fail more than they succeed. Uh, I think maybe the best are like the best in baseball. They get it right three times out of 10. I think occasionally you see that moment to lead coming at you like a fastball. And occasionally you get the bat off your shoulder and you swing and, and you connect and you make something happen. But I think it's rare like that. I just I just don't think it's the norm, although we want to believe it's the norm. And I, I, I'm sorry for going on so long on this idea. Of it no, I love it. I love it, Ed. I mean, I think I think I think what you're speaking to is the truth. I think I think it is rare. I think three out of 10 is probably unrealistic in this instance, right? Because, and for the person in the batter's box to take the, to take the analogy a little bit further, they don't necessarily know what's coming at them. Right. Right. Is it a fastball? Is it a change up? Is it a curve? Is it a knuckle? And so I think people are, they're, they're frozen, they're stalled at times and they don't know how to intervene skillfully in that moment. And I wrote a book once, and in the foreword of the book, Peter Vale wrote a quote, and it was just beautiful. And it suggested the following. Generally speaking, he said, unfortunately, no amount of sitting in a room talking about leadership helps people get better at the activity of leading others. And I think that's, a, that's an Achilles heel of our work, yeah, yeah. Is, that, is that there's a lack of a practice field or a lack of of other ways of thinking about developing others, oftentimes it's kind of myopic. It's we're, we're working with people's heads and filling them with concepts, but that's kind of where the development ends. That's like literally taking a chef and filling their heads with, with concepts and then expecting them to go back in the kitchen and be able to cook. And at least in the kitchen, there's a finite set of variables with leadership millions of variables. And let's just go back to the baseball analogy for a minute. Anybody who's coached Little League softball or baseball will probably remember telling the kids, if you're going to strike out, strike out swinging. Don't strike out looking, right? In baseball, you, you swing and miss three times, you're out. Or if the ball is thrown down the middle and the ump calls it a strike, even if you don't swing, if that happens three times, you're out. Yeah. And you're all, we're always telling kids, and I coached a lot of baseball when my kids were younger. We're always telling kids, if you're going to strike out, strike out swinging, not looking, right? Like take yeah. a chance, right? Yeah. But I think you know, when you're up there in the batter's box, and I'll connect this to leadership in just a minute. If you strike out looking, meaning the umpire calls you out, not because you swung, but because it was called strike. When you go back to the dugout, something is available to you that's not available to you if you strike out swinging. And that's an excuse. You can, mm. blame, you can blame the umpire. Okay. Now, if you strike out swinging, so 
if you decide you're going to intervene, yeah. okay, if you decide you're going to intervene, you get the bat off your shoulder and you put your name on the ballot, you step up on the stage, you raise your hand in that meeting, you do something to intervene and you fail, you're not successful at mobilizing people. You really don't have anybody to blame but yourself, right? Yeah. But if, yep. you, if you keep the bat on your shoulder and you don't try to intervene, you can always blame something else. You can blame an umpire. You can blame the context. You can blame history. You can blame the people who were there before you. You can, But you certainly can't blame yourself. And I think that's what happens a lot for people in everyday life. They choose not to lead because it's actually safer oh, yeah. for them personally not to lead. Which gets back to risky. Talk about why leadership is risky. I think it's my experience is it's risky because w- when you're leading, you're disrupting things. Sure. And people would rather have you not disrupt things. And there are all types of historical examples to kind of help convey how risky leadership is. Look at Abraham Lincoln. Look at Martin Luther King. Uh, these are examples of individuals who intervened in a in, in an incredibly disruptive way, and obviously it was incredibly risky for them, and they paid the ultimate price for it. But I think a not quite as ultimate price is paid almost any time somebody exercises leadership. You know, you, sure, you sure, try, you put yourself out there, right? Yeah, you're in the batter, you're in the box, and it's you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> just you. You know, and, now you've got so, the peanut gallery, right? right in the stands. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think most people, they, they just inherently kind of know it's risky. So they try to avoid the batter's box at all costs. You know, they, um, they just don't want to get in there. And then if they get in there, uh, they keep the bat on their shoulder and hope they get the walk, to, to get, a, get a walk. They get to get the first base by, by just walking. Um, so I, yeah, we think it is risky, um, which is why we think it's so rare. And oh my gosh, it's so needed though. Now more than ever, perhaps, do we need more people who understand how to mobilize others to make progress on really daunting challenges? So Ed, what have you learned in the last, it was 13 years, correct? Yeah, that's right. What have you learned? Are you as much of a cynic? Have you seen, have, have you seen with your eyes movement? Are you convinced at this point? Are you still a little bit skeptical? What, take us, take us there. I've learned a lot and I'm still a cynic about a number of things. And I've seen a lot of really neat things happen. Uh, One of the things I've learned is it is possible to create cultures of leadership Mm. inside organizations, inside companies, inside communities. Uh, We've done this long enough now. We've had enough research done about us. We've done research ourselves, but we've had other research funded by other people about us. We've had enough research now to confirm that you can create cultures, I would say cultures of leadership. But what what I've learned is that the way you do that isn't by picking a few people in that company or organization for leadership development, Mm. which is what most companies or organizations do. They they pick a few people who are either already at the top or or people who have been identified as key candidates to be at the top of the organization. That's not a good way to create a culture of leadership. If you want a culture of leadership, you need to build the capacity of people up and down and across the organization to exercise leadership. 
Hmm. And you're, you're really only going to do that if you believe leadership is an activity that's not connected to authority. If you think leadership and authority are the one and the same, you, you won't invest in building the leadership capacity of all your people. Um, so I, I've learned I've learned that's a big learning and it's been an exciting one to know that, A, you can create cultures of leadership and B, the way you do it is by building capacity at scale across your organization or community. Hmm. Well, and, and Ed, well, let me say it this way. What advice do you have for leadership educators? And then number two, for those who want to develop their abilities to exercise leadership, what suggestions do you have for them? Maybe two or three for each, each group. So, so Scott, for, the, for this first group, this advice, advice for leadership educators, three, three things. Number one, sure. small set of powerful and provocative ideas. Don't, don't throw every new leadership book at your people. Zero in and be loyal to a small set of ideas. Number two, um, you've got to think about scale. You have to think about working, building the capacity of enough people. Love with, it where you would expect that if enough people began to behave more consistently with those small, that small set of provocative ideas, you would see a culture emerge. And the third to the first is a small set of powerful and provocative ideas. The second is think at scale. And the third thing on my mind for this group is you have to build leadership development around a cause around a problem around an opportunity. I just don't think many people learn to change their behaviors because of theoretical conversations. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, you and I, no. you and I might dig that kind of thing, but, but I think if you're trying to build leadership in other people, you've got to make it relevant to something that's keeping them up at night right now. You I love know? It. That's the heat, right? That's, that's the heat. heat. That's the heat. And, and, you know, we talk about raising the heat is a part of leadership. Raising the heat is also a part of leadership education, right? Oh, I love it. Because you're about behavior change. You want yep. their behaviors to change. Therefore, we've got to raise the heat enough to get those behaviors to change. So does that make sense for that first? It does. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. great. That's perfect. Um, how, I, about, I guess, how about for me personally, if yeah. I want to develop my, my capacity to exercise leadership, where do I start? What do I need to be thinking about? What's on my radar? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you need to read every one of Scott Allen's books. Um, oh, that's brilliant. Right there. <laughs> right there. There you go. Um, <laughs> Especially the one for charge nurses. <laughs> yeah, yes. yes. I, I have that one, Scott. <laughs> I love it. You know, I think what I would say is, well, no, I, I, some of it is similar to the last advice. Zero in on a small set of ideas. I, you probably know a lot, a lot of these people like I do, Scott, who are just so, I mean, like they're leadership junkies, right? They read every new book that comes out there. And, and what I experience those people is like popcorning from one idea to the next, from one paradigm to the next. And they're kind of a buzz and all this stuff. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, well, it's it's a, your description right now reminds me of the film Up, with the dog who who is constantly going squirrel, 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 and and it's it's something new, and as a result, there's so much noise, nothing ever comes into clarity, and as a result, nothing ever really, no foundation is ever really built. So that's what I love about your uh, small set of powerful and provocative ideas or concepts 
that we can focus on and truly develop. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, so I think I, that'd, be, that'd be my advice to just an individual who wants to develop their leadership. I mean, find a framework you like and just focus on it, you know, I mean, for years. And, and because look, most of these leadership ideas are the same. I mean, I, they're, they're very few new. I don't think we created anything new. I think we packaged some things in some ways that are useful. We simplified some things, but nothing, nothing's new. Mm-hmm. The second piece of advice I would have for the, the average person who wants to develop their own leadership is you have to have the mindset of practicing. And I know you Love it this way too, Scott, but you, you just like my, my son who plays basketball is out on the driveway taking hundreds of shots a day, working on his game. And he's working on little nuanced things with his shots. Yes. Right? Yes. And over and over and over, you know, he was trying to perfect the backspin. Uh, he had a little too much side rotation, all these little things. I think leadership is the same way. I mean, how do you take an idea? Maybe the idea is I want to spend more time in diagnosis hmm. before I jump to solution. You can practice that. I mean, you can, you can, at every meeting you're in, you can practice. Did I jump to conclusions or did I ask questions that take us deeper into diagnosis? And then you can journal about, you know, how did you do? But I just think you have to have an attitude of practice. I love it. Well, and, and for many of us, we have eight, 10 hours a day, whether that's at home, right? Especially now, because many of us are at home yeah. or whether it's at work to exercise leadership. And it's, it's a practice field. Both contexts are a practice field for us. If we have that mindset, which I absolutely love. I love that framing and that way of thinking about exercising leadership and practicing leadership. Yeah, you know, and one more frame that could be useful to people, because I, I, I love that too, Scott. And I love, I, I, you've helped me advance my thinking over the years about the concept of drills. And just like, just like if I'm learning how to shoot a left-handed layup, there are drills I can do to teach me how to do that. I think another frame that could be useful for your listeners to think about um, is the frame of experimentation. Um, ah. You know, we often are encouraging people to think about leadership as an activity of experimentation. And if you think of it as running experiments, it can lessen the pressure, you know, I'm going to, in this next meeting, I'm going to try to get so-and-so to speak up a little more. I'm, I'm going to see what happens if I invite these other people into this meeting. And if you think like a scientist, you know, experiment has a hypothesis, you look for data, you use that data to inform your next hypothesis, your next experiment. It's just a really, we find comfortable way of thinking about the exercise of leadership that can be quite powerful. And it takes some of the pressure off, right? I mean, I think a lot of a lot of leaders, especially right now in kind of the context we're in with the COVID-19, mm-hmm. a lot of leaders are putting pressure on themselves to have all the answers. When in my mind, the activity right now is also helping the organization work through the right questions and identifying those correct questions to work so that we can work at run experiments so we can get some data so we can learn and then just kind of continue the cycle. So I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Well, I think often the experience when exercising leadership, and again, by that, what, what I mean, I think you mean too, Scott, what, what I mean is when trying to mobilize other people to make progress on daunting challenges, or big opportunities, when, when trying to do that, 
none of us know exactly how to do it, right? I mean, so, so if we think of it as we're experimenting uh, to figure out what will mobilize those other people, which is different than thinking, what idea can I come up with to solve this problem? Yes. Right. Yes. So like That's COVID- a heck of a lot of pressure, that ladder. Yeah. Right? Well, and COVID-19 is a great example because nobody, nobody no, no one person can solve it. No. Nope. Right? It's about nope. There's just a lot of experiments happening right. right now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and a lot of those experiments, while there are plenty of experiments in the um, experiment, plenty of experiments happening related to the vaccine. A lot of the experiments are about mobilizing a world, frankly, to yes. behave differently. You know, yes. so it's all about experiments. Social distancing yep. is an experiment. Stay-at-home orders are is an experiment. Yes, yes. Yeah. Can we flatten? And, and hopefully that will flatten the curve. But you're exactly right. No authority figure has the answer right now that can solve this dilemma we're facing. Yeah. And so I love it. I love it. I think we're, we are close on time. And so... I have this little bit of a lightning round at the end. And so I just want to get some, some, some answers from you about some very, very critical questions. Okay. So Ed, what are you streaming right now? What is the family streaming or what are you streaming right now that other than Joe Exotic that, <laughs> that is teaching you about leadership? Oh, okay. What am I streaming that's teaching me about leadership? That, you changed the question there at the end. What we're streaming I did. I did. right now is the British Baking Show. <laughs> well, I imagine there's people <laughs> I, I exercising think, leadership, or maybe it's rare in that instance. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure yet, but we're having a good time as a family with that. We're about to start the Chicago Bulls um, documentary that just oh, nice. out last night. Um, so actually, what, what I'm more connected to my work, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts right now about writing, about creative writing. And I'm noticing oh, many similarities between the creative writing process and the exercise of leadership. So that, that's something that I'm spending a lot of time streaming or listening to lately. I love it. I love it. And how about, how about reading? Is there something that you've been reading that you've really enjoyed lately? It doesn't have to be about just leadership, but, but is there a book that stands out for you in recent months? You know, I read a lot and I love it. And I, I always have multiple books going at the same time. And, um, you know, of course, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 social, isola- social isolation era right now. I happen to be reading Robinson Crusoe, which is about you know, a guy <laughs> trapped on an island. And also reading another book about a guy who took this solo pilgrimage all through Europe. So I, I'm really well read at <laughs> being alone right now. <laughs> <laughs> exercising existence. Yes, yes. Just how to yes, sustaining existence. Well, well, Ed, I know that that every one of our of our listeners, if we come back to those three words, a service, and the service you and, and your organization, the Kansas Leadership Center, is 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 doing for Kansas, I think that that fits beautifully. A principled, I think what you are trying to accomplish is. Uh, helping individuals better exercise leadership and what a noble, what a noble objective and inquisitive. Uh, we could continue this conversation for a long time and, and we will re- revisit this at some point. I am excited to do another episode with you. So I appreciate your time. Where can people learn more about you, your writing and KLC? Sure. Thank you, Scott. If they um, head to the Kansas Leadership Center website, which is simply kansasleadershipcenter.org, 
You can find out all you want to know about um, about KLC uh, or me. You can find links to my social media and ways to contact me um, and our team. And we'd love to have you. And Scott, it's great to be with you. Uh, love the podcast. Love your work and have for decades now. You're doing a great job. And i um, so proud to be uh, a guest on the new podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you, Eddie O. Have a wonderful day. Keep doing great things out there in the world, and we will talk soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Scotty. After each episode, I take a couple days and I just reflect. And this conversation gave me a lot to reflect upon. So Ed talked about his truths when it came to leadership, that it's an activity, not a position, that it's risky, and that leadership is, in fact, rare. Loved how KLC is framing leadership and and how they're defining the work. They say that it's about solving problems and seizing opportunities. They also say that leadership is about making progress on our most daunting challenges and mobilizing others to take up the cause as well. Now, I loved what Ed said about what learners can do to better prepare to lead. He talked about having an attitude of practice that really every day, each one of us has an opportunity to practice leadership when we're at work or when we're at school or we're engaging in any other group which with, with which we care, we can be practicing leadership. He also talked about having a mindset of experimentation so that leadership in many ways is about experimentation and experimenting and running experiments to see if we can help the work of the group move forward. My final observation from this conversation is the importance of language. I really love how KLC is framing the concept of leadership. I love the language they're using. And so for me, I'm going to continue to reflect upon the language I'm using so that I frame these concepts, these ideas, these thoughts in a way that's useful for others. As always, Thank you for checking in. We appreciate you listening. Have a great day. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.